0: We look this morning at the ministry of John the Baptist from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, and we read in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John." You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent. And unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended and ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you today for this forerunner of Jesus, this man who was a child of promise, a man who was filled with Your Spirit, a man who had a purpose, O God, for living. We pray, O God, that You would encourage and strengthen us today as we look into Your Word. We ask that You would teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If you are old enough to remember when Muhammad Ali was boxing, uh, you probably remember how he often said he was the greatest. He was the best looking. He was the smartest. He was the greatest. And can't you just picture him going like this, you know? Uh, One time he said, I should be a postage stamp because that's the only way I could get licked. (laughs) Quite a humble man he was, wasn't he? Uh, One day, the story goes, he was seated on an airplane and they were about ready to take off. And the flight attendant came and told him he needed to buckle his seatbelt. And he looked up and he said, Superman don't need no seat belt. And the flight attendant was very quick. She said, Superman don't need no airplane. So buckle your belt, she said. (laughs) Well, I suppose there are many people in the world who think they are great. And that's probably part of our nature, isn't it? We have a fairly high view of ourselves and what we can do and so forth. But if you want to know whom the Lord considers to be great, uh, we find an example of that in this passage of Scripture when the angel said to Zacharias, uh, You're going to have a son. Uh, You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, John the Baptist was probably not considered to be one who was great in the eyes of the world. Uh, You think of the way he dressed and the message he proclaimed and so forth. I bet you uh, there were a lot in this world that really didn't like this man. (laughs) But he was great in the sight of the Lord. And I think the reason for that, I know the reason for that, is not because it was anything of his doing, but it was God's plan for him, God's work in his life. John's greatness in the sight of the Lord was not his doing, but God's doing that becomes very clear as we look at this passage today. Notice, first of all, that John was born in fulfillment of God's great promise, given through the angel Gabriel. Whenever I see a newborn baby, I'm reminded that every birth is a miracle, isn't it? That's one of the joys that I get to experience as a pastor, where you go to the hospital after someone has had a baby, and you see those little fingers, those little toes, and little head, and it's just like, what a miracle of God. What an absolute miracle of God. But the baby that was promised to Zacharias and Elizabeth, could we not say it was an extraordinary miracle because they weren't able to have children, and they were old. Verse 6 says, They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were now both advanced in years. If you're familiar with the Scripture, you know that this isn't the only time that God gave a baby to a barren couple. I mean, you trace it through the Old Testament, and it was over and over. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. Uh, The Bible says their bodies were as good as dead. And God gave them that son, Isaac, which means laughter. And Sarah herself said, all who hear of this will laugh with me. How can you not laugh with them? I, I kind of joke in Bible school that Sarah must have had a combination a stroller walker <laughs> as he took little uh, Isaac to the park. Or Rebecca, barren. When Isaac prayed and God gave them not just one son, but twins. Rachel was barren. God gave her a son named Joseph. Manoah's wife was barren. God gave her a son named Samson. Hannah was barren. And God gave her Samuel. So if God wants to give a baby to a barren woman, He can do it. That's exactly what happened with Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Zacharias must have prayed about his desire for a child because the angel said, Your petition has been heard. And I suppose as a priest, he was well aware of all these events in the Old Testament. But when God promised to give him a son, he didn't believe it. In fact, in verse 18, he said, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So evidently, God's clear promise wasn't enough it appears as if he wanted some some kind of sign. How can I know for sure that this is going to happen? As if the word from God was not enough, huh? Gabriel came from the Lord, here's the message and okay, yeah, but how how will I really know that that's going to happen? Uh, Gabriel's response is kind of interesting. The first thing he said is you don't need a sign. <laughs> John, you don't need a sign, or Zacharias, you don't need a sign. Verse 19, he said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you the good news. As if to say, I have a message from God, and that's really all you need. You don't need a sign. You've got his word, and his word is trustworthy. And then the second thing he said to them is this, If you must have a sign, okay, I'll give you a sign, and you will be the sign. (laughs) You will be the sign. Verse 20, Gabriel said, John, you're going to be silent. You won't be able to speak until the day when these things take place because you didn't believe My words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so the people were waiting and, and Zacharias comes out. They're wondering, why is he in here so long? This isn't normal. He comes out and he's unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them. There was the sign. Nine months. This man could not speak. Now for a woman that would be hard for I a... I shouldn't have said that. Nine. I'm sorry, ladies. I, re... I really am. I really am. And if I could bring tears to my eyes, I'd do it. For, non... for nine long months. This man could not speak because he doubted the promise of God. He didn't really believe that God would do what He said He would do. So there's the question for us. Do we believe that God will do what He said He would do? Do we stand on the Word of God? Do we believe His promise? Or do we need a sign? We don't need a sign. We've got God's sure Word, don't we? God's clear promise and so john was born in fulfillment of god's great promise the second thing we note is that john was born to be filled with god's great power if john was going to be great in the sight of the lord he needed to be filled with a power that was greater than his own because no one is great in the sight of the lord in his own strength even the forerunner of jesus John needed the power of the Holy Spirit and notice he would receive that power in the womb even before he was born. Verse 15 says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. (laughs) So let's not limit what God can do in the lives of children, right? Filled with the Spirit even in his mother's womb. And the power with which he was filled is pictured in the ministry of Elijah in the Old Testament. Verse 17, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now usually when we think of Elijah, what do we think of? We think of all the miracles that he did, right? One of them, the withholding of rain for Three and a half years, as well as uh, raising a widow's son from the dead. And there were all kinds of miracles that Elijah and Elisha did. And that's what we usually think about. But that was not the ministry of John the Baptist, was it? No, it wasn't. Another display of Elijah's power was his preaching. As he proclaimed the Word of God, like the day that he confronted King Ahab on, on Mount Carmel. Remember, there were 450 prophets of Baal. And he had them call out to their gods first, see if they could bring fire down on the altar. And of course, they couldn't. They cried all day. And then Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. And he fearlessly proclaimed the the truth of God's Word. He confronted evil kings. He, He was a man who was willing to... Preach the word of God regardless of the cost. Let the chips fall where they may. That was Elijah. And so when we look at the ministry of John the Baptist, it was not focused so much on miracles, but rather the focus was on a fearless man who was willing to proclaim the truth of God regardless of the consequences. Look, for example, in chapter 3 of Luke, where we see the ministry of John as it begins. Verse 7, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, that's quite a sermon introduction, isn't it? You get up and preach and you call the congregation a brood of vipers. Well, he did. I'm not going to call you that, but... Therefore, he said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's a a fire and brimstone message, right? Go on to verse 15 of chapter 3. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ... John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not even fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But then he went on to say, His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people, and he even confronted Herod. But when Herod the Tetrarch was was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things that Herod had done, Herod then locked up John and put him in prison. Now there's the kind of preacher who was willing to say what God wanted him to say willing to preach the Word of God regardless of the consequences. And I would suggest to you that we need more men like Him today. I don't think we'd have so many problems in our country if the pulpits within our churches, in our our land, would be willing to preach the truth of God's Word. But there is so much compromise today, isn't there? Issues that many preachers won't touch. They don't want to offend anyone. Reminds me of the rulers in John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. God spare us from that kind of living. Where we're more concerned about the praise of men than we are about the praise of God. John was not seeking the praise of men. He was seeking the praise of God. And that's the sign of someone who's filled with the Spirit of God. They're willing to proclaim the truth of God's Word regardless of the consequences. The third thing we notice about John is that John was born to fulfill God's great purpose. God's purpose for John the Baptist was to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was to go before the Lord and prepare the way for His coming. Verse 17 makes it clear. It is He who will go as a forerunner before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, it's very obvious that the people of Israel were not ready for the coming of the Lord when John began his ministry. They had turned their hearts away from God and and that's why John's mission was to turn them back. Verse 16 says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. And the way that John turned them back is the only way that people can be turned back. And that's by preaching a message of repentance. A message of turning back to God. Repentance is needed because if you're going to turn to God, the only way you can do that is turning from your sin. As you're walking in disobedience to God, you hear the gospel and you turn back to God. You turn around. and That's what it means to be converted, where your life is, is transformed, it's, it's changed. And notice what happens when someone is converted. There's a change in our relationships. Things are different in how we treat one another, especially in our family. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. A.T. Robertson says this is one of the first results of conversion. A revival of love in the home. But there's also a change in our attitude towards sin. He says to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. In other words, instead of rebelliously going my own way and doing my own thing when Jesus Christ comes into my life, what happens? I want to go God's way. I want to live in a way that is is pleasing to Him. I wonder if that's a missing ingredient in some of our preaching today, the message of repentance. The need to confess and turn away from our sin. My dad used to call that easy believism. And you just raise your hand at a meeting or you go forward, you don't deal with sin, you don't turn away from there, there's no change in your life. That's not repentance. What is conversion? What is salvation? If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things pass away, and all things become new. And so those who claim to know the Lord as their Savior, and there's absolutely no change in their life, you've got to ask the question, is this this a real conversion? Do they really know Jesus? Do they know what repentance is all about? And let's remember that repentance isn't just a one-time thing. We live in daily repentance, don't we? We ought to. Do you sin daily? I need daily repentance. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to turn away from my sin. Now, we know that there will never be another John the Baptist, will there? There was only one forerunner of Jesus, but there are some clear lessons we learned from his life. Let me just mention three as we close. Number one, we are here on earth because God placed us here. Just as John's birth was a miracle, so was yours. (laughs) A miracle of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has put you here for a reason, for a purpose. You are a miracle. (laughs) Your birth was a miracle, just as John's birth was. The second lesson is that God has a purpose for our lives too. Like John, we're called as believers in Jesus to point people to Him so that we can help them to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And so the call is to be involved in that work of evangelism, missions, and and sharing the good news so that people might be ready when Jesus comes again, when He comes the second time. And then the third lesson, we need a power beyond our own. To carry out the mission that God has given us. And the power that John experienced is the power that we need to experience today. The power of God's Spirit. As He fills our lives, as He lives through us. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, Jesus said. Ephesians 5 talks about being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks to God in all things. Submitting to one another. That's the work of God's Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. We don't want to try to live the Christian life in our own flesh, our own human effort. It can't be done. We need the power of God's Spirit. So don't fall for the world's definition of greatness. If you look at the world today and what is greatness in the eyes of the world? Popular, wealthy, good-looking. Most of us don't qualify for that. Some of you are pretty good-looking, but not me. Great in the eyes of God. As we recognize His purpose for our life, as we recognize the power by which He can fill us and use us, that's what it means to be great in the sight of the Lord. And I pray that that would be true of us too. We're not John the Baptist, but God wants to work in our lives as well. That we might be great in His sight. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the ministry of John the Baptist. Thank You, Lord, for his miraculous birth. Thank You, Lord, for the power of Your Spirit working in him. Thank You that he understood the purpose for which he was born. Father, may that be true of us as well, understanding the purpose of why we're here, relying on the power of Your Spirit, O God, to use us to help prepare many for the day when You come again, Lord Jesus. We pray in Your name. Amen.